Have you ever been given an impossible task? A load that was too big or too heavy to carry? A deadline that was impossible to meet, especially when you had neglected doing it earlier? A problem too big to solve? An assignment that was totally beyond your pay grade? Well, near the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 27, verses 62 to 66, we're introduced to a group of soldiers who were given an impossible assignment. When the order came down from the, to them from the top that the tomb where Jesus was, to be, was buried was to be made secure until the third day so his disciples couldn't come and steal his body, it must have seemed to them to be the easiest assignment they had ever been given. Arresting criminals, doing crowd control, and making sure prisoners didn't escape, that usually required a fair bit of muscle and experience. But when Pilate called him to seal a tomb of a dead man and make sure it stayed that way, they must have wondered, how hard can it be? How hard indeed? Was it even necessary no one even thought of doing such a thing until the chief priests and the Pharisees started worrying and discussing among themselves what Jesus had said. While he was still alive, after three days, I will rise again. That was, they agreed, surely impossible. And yet they gave the order for his tomb to be made secure until the third day, just in case his disciples decided to come and steal the body and tell people that he had been raised from the dead. Now, given what they knew about the disciples, that must have seemed nigh impossible. I mean, remember what they did when trouble started brewing and the tide turned against Jesus? They ran for their lives. They denied even knowing Jesus, let alone being his disciples. The disciples were definitely not thinking about stealing Jesus' body. I think uh, the only move they were plotting was how to make sure that nobody tried to steal any of their bodies and dump them in a pit. But paranoid as they were, the Pharisees weren't about to take any chances. So to make sure it was impossible for the disciples to steal the body, they convinced the governor himself, Pilate, to order his professionals to go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. There was indeed no way anyone was going to break into the tomb while they were on watch. But what none of them even considered in the realm of possibility was that Jesus himself would make good on what he had said. The chief priests and the Pharisees didn't believe that it that was possible, nor did Pilate and the guards whose assignment it was to make sure nobody broke into the tomb. But a breakout? Well, no one was gullible or naive enough to think that was possible, especially Jesus' followers who witnessed his death firsthand, like Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who went to the tomb, only to be shaken by a violent earthquake and greeted by an angel who said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. 
So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And see him they did. Indeed, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 Paul reminds the believers there of Jesus' death and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. For I passed for that, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. When he appeared to James, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul says, as to one abnormally born. Jesus' resurrection was not something any of them had made up or imagined. But he appeared on multiple occasions to multiple people, most of whom, Paul says, were still living. Meaning, you can track them down, talk to them for yourselves. They were eyewitnesses. What they had previously thought impossible had happened. Indeed, shortly after Jesus returned to his heavenly home, he sent the Holy Spirit in dramatic fashion to fill them, to tell others who Jesus was and what he had accomplished through his death and resurrection. In Peter's sermon to the crowd in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter explained to his fellow Israelites how all that had happened to Jesus of Nazareth had been in keeping with God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Even though you, he says, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I don't know about you, but when I read those words by Peter recently, the word that stood out to me was impossible. Everyone else thought it was impossible for him to come back to life. But Jesus could give up his life because he believed God's promise was the only thing that was truly impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He had said he would be raised. It is impossible for God to break his promise. God has raised this Jesus to life, Peter tells them in Acts 2.32, adding, and we are all witnesses of it. See, they were all those 120 witnesses speaking to the people in their own dialect, their own native tongue, telling about the praises of God. That's what got all of their attention. How can you explain that this is happening? And that's when he told them the story about Jesus, not only his death, but his resurrection. God raised this Jesus to life, Peter tells them, adding, and we are all witnesses. And it says that those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Talk about God turning the tide. 
They went from 120 people huddling away, hoping the officials wouldn't come after them. And now they have broken free, and there's over 3,000 of them. God knows how to turn the tide. I wonder how often have I, have you, misused and misapplied that word, impossible. Because we don't take God's word and God seriously. We tend to misuse it. Too often, much too often, I suspect, as I have learned from personal experience, I remember the day almost a dozen years ago when I was terminated and something in me died. God helped me to get through that. And within a year, he called me to this church for which I am deeply grateful. But even a year or two later, I still hadn't fully recovered and I had come to believe that I never would. And then one day I was in a worship gathering in Vancouver with other pastors and leaders in our denomination from around the conference. And, and as we were there singing God's praises, God's Spirit began to speak to me. Everyone else was singing and it was like I was just, he was meeting with me. And suddenly he is walking me through, as everyone else is singing, he's walking me through the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And I found myself saying to him, like the others had on that occasion in that story, surely you have, could have kept, not that man, surely you could have kept me from dying like that. Having my dreams and reputation shattered. And yet, Jesus wasn't meeting with me to dwell on the past. He wanted me to take away the stone, the stone where I had buried my disappointment and hope. And it was so real, I found myself sobbing and saying, it's too late. Whatever had died in me, it's been dead too long. You know, like they said, <laughs> you know, when Jesus says, remove the stone, they say, he's been dead so long, it's going to stink really bad. I really don't think you want this to happen. And it was like I was there, and I was saying, don't do it. But he was persistent and insistent that he wanted me to let him in, and he would take care of it. And as everyone else was singing, I did. And he called out to me, David, come forth. And he revived in me a hope that I thought was dead and buried forever. You know, I had still believed in Jesus' resurrection, but not in its possible implications and ramifications for me until that day. And I share this not because Jesus resurrects everything that has died in us. But perhaps today, or in the coming days, he wants to peel that label impossible off of something or something that we have mislabeled, like I did. Will you let him do that? 
want to invite the choir up for closing song. And as they're coming, let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who is able to do the impossible. I thank you that the resurrection is not just something that happened a long time ago, though it is, but the implications of it. You continue to be the Lord of life. You continue to be the one who takes people and things that have died and that we have dead and buried and you, and you give new life. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would speak into the hearts of each person here that they would hear your voice calling them to new life. Amen. It has been good to be together today, has it not? What a blessing. I want to leave you with the uh, first, if you would like prayer this morning, perhaps you've begun to hope that God would resurrect something in you, or you have been challenged to take the step of public commitment and baptism. I would encourage you to uh, come to the front, and one of our prayer team would be love to pray with you, or myself. And uh, invite you also to stay for a time of fellowship uh, after the service as well. And maybe to share a, a highlight or what you have, God has been doing in, in speaking to you today. In Ephesians, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.